Hey everyone, uh, Pastor Mark Stevenson with Harmony Toluca Lake, an affirming faith community and second campus of Hollywood United Methodist Church. And it is a great pleasure to be part of the Harmony Podcast Network for a short stories special episode. And I am so excited about this because I have the opportunity to interview one dear friend of mine who is also a colleague in ministry, Reverend Sandy Olwine. Sandy, uh, she has a perspective that many of us don't. Uh, she lived in, um, in the Middle East uh, from 1995 to 2006, and so, uh, and in various capacities, but she also has this uh, great breadth of knowledge and has received numerous recognitions for her peace with justice work in Palestine, Israel, and has written uh, many published articles. Uh, also, she serves as currently the South District Superintendent for the California Pacific Annual Conference. So again, it is a joy and a pleasure. Sandy, hello. Hi, Mark. How are you? It's so good to be with you today. <laughs> it is. I, I'm, I'm so stoked to have the coup <laughs> of Sandy Olwine with me today. Uh, so, you know, let's dive into a very simple topic and talk about the Middle East. <laughs> yeah, why not? Have a cup of coffee, add some chocolate. Let's go. Right. You know, it's, it's one thing, I, I, I was pondering on this, is I, I keep seeing the things about the Gaza war, the Gaza war, but it's, just, it's so much more than just the Gaza war, isn't it? Yeah, it's a whole lot more than the Gaza war. The, the Gaza war is the current um, expression of the struggle uh, that's gone on for about 100 years uh, over this land that uh, is mutually called Israel-Palestine. That mm-hmm. stretches, you know, to the from the Mediterranean sort of to the Jordan, um, up to the north towards the Syrian and uh, Lebanese borders, and then down through the Negev in the south to the uh, red to the Aqaba um, Sea, uh, and uh, it's just the current expression of an ongoing uh, conflict and struggle over land and identity. Right. Well, so for you, and and, and again, the number of years that you were there, you have this knowledge and experience why why do you well what is this struggle what makes it particularly important to you well as you mentioned um i uh lived there uh full time uh from the fall of 20 uh, 1995 uh through mid uh february of 2006 uh, both as a scholar in residence initially at an ecumenical institute, and then as our United Methodist liaison to Jerusalem through our General Board of Global Ministries. But prior to that, uh, I have been doing interfaith work uh, the entire time I have been a United Methodist clergy person, uh, first with uh, Jewish-Christian dialogue and leadership with young uh, rabbis and young uh, clergy, uh, Christian clergy. Uh, as I was finishing that uh, time, we were beginning to expand that to young Muslim leaders. Uh, and I served uh, at Holy United Methodist Church under uh, when James uh, M. Lawson was the pastor there uh, during the first Gulf War. Uh, it was during that time that uh, Reverend Lawson, Rabbi Bierman, um, Dr. Hatut at the Islamic Center, and then uh, Rev, uh, Reverend George Regis up at All Saints in Pasadena, who was then rector, uh, put together the Interfaith Coalition Against the Gulf War. And so that really deepened my work on, on peace and justice issues in the in the region, but also how we how we did that kind of interfaith work together in 
not only in just learning to understand each other better, but also that we could actually stand together on policy issues um, uh, to call communities to jointly to to more than prayer together, but to also be an action and uh, political action and, and to try to make a difference in how our, our government responded to crises. Um, the opportunity came for me then to travel uh, to Israel-Palestine. Uh, it was not something I actually particularly uh, had a call to initially. Uh, I went because clergy often get free trips to go to the Holy Land. So I thought, oh, what the heck, I'll go anywhere for free. But it was in that very trip and in the, in the, actually the uh, almost ex almost exactly 30 years ago this today, it's like another week would have been exactly 30 years ago. Uh, and it was in that trip that I thought, wait a minute, as I'm watching and driving around the countryside, um, I was re realizing that things I knew about the conflict um, were really sound bites. I didn't know very much about the depth of it. So I began to study. I went back the next year with uh, 70 members from Holman. I stayed for an additional 10 days after they left to spend time with our missionaries who are in that position and uh, uh, really began to um, listen to the stories of the peoples of the land. And so the opportunity came for me to return in that position. So I went back, um, I was first a scholar in residence at the Tantra Community Institute and then uh, full-time with GBGM. And um, that particular uh, position gave me the opportunity to hear from Palestinians and Israelis across the political, social spectrums, uh, because my job was to get people off a tour bus and to have them meet people and to hear their stories and to, to do more than sound bites and to not only treat that place when they came on a visit, like it's a museum for their own sort of spiritual place, but actually this is a real place with real people with real current issues. And as Methodists, but also as primarily US citizens, uh, we play a huge role in what happens in that place. And so um, it, it became very personal, became home for me for so, so, so long um, because I have, relationships with people uh, across those spectrums uh, in that land. Mm. It's certainly a complicated situation going on over there. And uh, often we, we just have no idea how to respond to it. So for, because for some, they look at it and go, well, all these people have been fighting for centuries and, and they're never solving it. So I guess from uh, the Christian perspective, maybe even just saying a Methodist perspective, how, how do we respond to that? Yeah, yeah, that's a common, um, both to say that it's complicated uh, because we've described lots of things that are complicated because it means that we don't have to try to figure them out because we don't, we, you know, so I would say it's complex rather mm -hmm. than complicated and it hasn't been going on for centuries this but th this is a particular time in history and period of, of conflict that exists that um is not just something that's gone on for generation after generation for for decades and centuries back i mean yes this region has been racked with uh conflict but the conflict between israel palestine is uh is about 100 years old uh mm -hmm. and not forever which means it's uh it's a really it's a modern conflict um with roots in a lot of different areas. Uh, you know, it, it was born out of complications. Actually, it had nothing to do with that region It's in of itself. Uh, it began post-World War I when the Ottoman Empire was broken up and you had the French and the British and dividing up uh, countries. Uh, so it's sort of a part of the colonial reality at that period of time. Um, and so you had uh, that happening. 
you had uh, sort of the late 1800s, you had the beginning of modern political Zionism that really came to uh, fruition in Europe of the uh, ethnocentric uh, nationalism that was growing in that period of time um, and was continuing to deepen the anti-Semitism in those, in those nations where people who were Jews were not allowed to be a part of any nation they lived in because they didn't fit the ethnic profile of whatever mm -hmm. that particular country was. And it's part of what gave root and rise to the modern political Zionism that we had. Um, and so you had that um, that beginning movement in the late 1800s and early 20th century, early 1900s of trying to get um, Jewish folks from around the world to, to settle uh, in what was then considered Palestine. Uh, but a lot of people didn't go during that period of time. What they they were choosing when they were leaving out of Eastern Europe, a lot of those, a lot of the Jewish folks actually ended up coming to the United States in that period, or other other Western uh, European countries, and not actually a large immigration to to Palestine. And then, of course, we had World War II and the horrors of the of the Holocaust. Uh, and following that, there was also rejection of taking Jewish. Um, refugees and Holocaust survivors in nations. And so there was sort of a sense, okay, well, let's, they got a country now, let's send them over here to, to, to Israel. Um, we had a lot of forces outside the region um, and a lot of powerful nation states that had a lot to do with shaping the, the, that context. Um, and there was also, obviously there was also activity in the Arab world that also around these and around these things. Uh, Palestine was not a country per se at that point, right? Didn't have mm -hmm. elected leaders uh, in, in any shape or form. Um, but so that you had all of these, we've had all of these sort of forces at play, um, but the West has been really dominant in shaping what's happened in that region. Um, and so, um, and, as you know, and as people of the United States, we have to be very, recognize very much that our uh, tax dollars have gone, um, to both support um, what for Palestinians is occupation, uh, particularly in the West Bank in Gaza and East Jerusalem, uh, and um, with our uh, support of Israel as a as a government in relationship to our military aid, um, and and then we've then we've provided relief right at the same time to Palestinians uh, that's caused by the weapons that sometimes that we send to the Israelis. And so we, we are really highly mixed up into this conflict. And so we need to pay attention. So we do need to know because we are actually uh, funding <laughs> uh, much of what goes on. And so we, whether you agree with it or not, we at least need to be knowledgeable about it and not say it doesn't matter or just those people over there. Mm. Yeah. I mean, anytime war breaks out, we have any places, and we so often tend to, in many conflicts, say there's the good guys and the bad guys, right? And so often this gets uh, gets set up with that, uh, and then you and you add into it in a conflict that's different than other conflicts. You add in both anti-Semitism and Islamophobia mm -hmm. uh, and uh, just Western racism to people of color. Uh, you add all of that structural stuff together on top of this conflict, and it, it does make it complex. It's not there's not a simple thread you pick, and all of a sudden it's just going to like flowers are going to bloom everywhere, you know, uh, uh, because there are a lot of uh, a lot of layers uh, that people I think need to understand so that they can at least um, begin to have real dialogue about real solutions um, that are not simplistic, 
uh, that don't erase uh, people's history, um, the emotions that they bring to it, um, the, the commitments and co the connections to the land that they have, uh, especially for those of us who, who live outside of that. Yeah, because there's some real high emotions going on right now. I mean, so you just take the situation of the, the, this war, and then suddenly we have seen uh, Islamophobia uh, uh, coming up and, and anti-Semitism and, and, and hate crimes, and it's just uh, it's, it's mind-boggling. I mean, obviously, the, the, uh, the attack uh, on October 7th uh, in southern Israel um, was horrendous. Uh, and in, in just about every way was a violation of sort of every convention, <laughs> the Geneva Convention, uh, it would, it much, much of it would qualify as, uh, as a war crime. The Israeli response um, now has, uh, has plenty of other things to it now that also can be considered war crime. Uh, and certainly there are, there are people that are sort of in the, who work in the international law who are actually putting through some of this work now to look at those, those things, right? Um, mm -hmm. So uh, 1,200 on the Israeli side has given way now to 15,000 or more on the Palestinian side, and it's, and which is always the numbers. You know, it's, we always have this sort of tit for tat, um, but it's never tit for tat because right. um, the, the numbers are always, are always lopsided. Uh, mm -hmm. In relationship to who 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 loses more life um, uh, in this conflict uh, currently around this thing, and uh, uh, and so trying to find a way, people get so easily polarized, right? If, that you have to either be for Israelis or you have to be for Palestinians, and if you try to say uh, you want to, you're for human beings, and you don't want any families to to be grieving the loss of lives that they did on October 7th and the total terror they have of their people who are kidnapped. Um, you know, we're grateful right now that some are being released and reunited with their families. Um, that's, that's great, great news. It needed to happen. It's good that it's happening. And Palestinians are having, and, the, and Gaza are having a break from the ongoing assault um, and just the, the millions of people that were living under bombs and uh, lack of water, lack of food, and there's a little break in that. Um, uh, that's, that's a good thing. We give thanks for that. Uh, but the question then, what happens next, um, right. is, is a big one for everyone, yeah. right? So. I have a couple of the questions as we're coming toward a close on this, is uh, because you, you've mentioned this thing with Israel, and when some started criticizing Israel, mm -hmm they begin to, others, they sit there and they go, all right, well, you know what, that's, that's anti-Semitism. So they're equating criticism of Israel with anti-Semitism. And uh, what do you think around that? Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes it is, right? So, I mean, it takes a lot of care. I do not, I mean, anti-Semitism is alive and horribly well in many parts of our nation and around the world. It's, that's completely evident. And we have to, as Christian people, uh, stand up and say no. <laughs> that mm. persons, because they uh, are Jewish, are valued people, they have a sacred worth, uh, because they have, even if they have views that are you know, staunchly in support of uh, Israel, uh, they are still people that are allowed to express who they are and what they are. And, and, and there's a great diversity about among uh, Jewish people around uh, the actions of a particular, the state government of Israel. Um, there are things I think you have to, so I think we have to be just intentional about saying, 
recognizing where there is anti-Semitism, which is a tax on Jewish people for who they are, for what they believe, um, that has absolutely nothing to do with uh, anything that is a part of the, con the, the conflict, right? Um, and the same thing with Islamophobia. Uh, we have people going after Arabs of any descent because yes. uh, they think that they are attacking uh, Jews or they're attacking the Christianity or they're whoever they think they're attacking, right? Um, that they're all terrorists, that they we lump them all in. So, so we have to be able to distinguish that and we have to stand up strongly against those things but to, when the, the attempt to equate any criticism of a, of a government, um, in this case, Israeli government, uh, to anti-Semitism, um, and just blanket that means basically what you're doing is silencing uh, all criticism. And, um, and that happens even to Jewish folks who, who criticize their, their government uh, outside, the, outside the country. So... Um, that's a concern. I have a huge concern because they've tried to, there have been attempts in Congress to pass laws saying that any criticism of the state of Israel's government is anti-Semitism. And I blatantly say that is not, that is not the right, uh, is not true. And, uh, and we need to be much more sophisticated in delineating that criticism. So. Yes. All right. So I have uh, one last question and it, and it leads to this, what we've discussed. Uh, and thank you. Um, all right, so other than praying, uh, which is very important, um, are there other things that uh, Christians can and should be doing? Well, and I would say, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus this thing, and most of our folks listening are probably from the United States. Uh, so, one, um, if you are a part of any sort of mainline uh, Protestant group, and even uh, Catholics in this country, uh, all of those churches have got good materials on education about the, the conflict. They have uh, longstanding uh, policies and commitments to peace with justice in that area. So if you haven't yet accessed it, access that. Learn about it. Um, and uh, one is to look at your news sources. Uh, this is where li listening to um, U.S.-based news only uh, and mainstream kind of news is you will not going to you're not going to get more than sound bites on most of that material. You know, you you need to people need to do they need to give commitment to reading a little bit more <laughs> uh, to look for some sources outside, um, you know, the, the papers, newspapers and news sources that come from other parts of the world uh, so that you get some different viewpoints on it. Um, two is sit down. You know, if you have interfaith groups, this is. This is right now a really hard one for us to have interfaith conversations on. Uh, people are really um, very tender right now, and it it makes it really difficult to stay in conversation. It's always been a hard conversation for interfaith work, um, but this period means even more we have to lean into that, and we have to find ways to, to talk about this, um, this conflict, this struggle, that allow space to hold each other's fears, to hold each other's rage, mm. to hold each other's pain and questions, uh, and not walk away from the table. This is when we need to be committed to staying at table with people that we want to, so that we don't perpetuate the kind of trauma that both Palestinians and Israelis are living with after the last you know, number of generations. Um, and so that if we want to actually find help support a solution that's actually going to move us to a, to a, to a day where there's a chance for peace with justice, 
Uh, and because we fund so much of it here in the US, it's incumbent upon us to have those dialogues, to have those relationships and to seek um, better understanding so that we can then inform our politicians, our elected leaders about, yes, this is a great way to go. No, this you're just perpetuating the same problems happen. But if we don't do that work mm -hmm. and if we can't do that work together, we're gonna have a hard time being effective witnesses um, to the kind of world that we wanna see built um, by our tax dollars and by our, and by our leaders. Yes. Well, uh, Rev. Sandy, I just want to thank you so much for your time uh, for this short stories episode. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to be able to connect with you, and I look forward to hopefully having another conversation with you down the line. Thanks, Mark. I know this is a hard one to do in a short period, so I hope it's, I hope it's helpful at least uh, raise some questions for people uh, to think about uh, in this area. So thanks for having me today. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and so I just want to say to our listening audience, thank you for connecting with us and, and uh, continue to like and download and share. And uh, we're trying to spread the good news of what is happening here on the Harmony Podcast Network. Uh, and our next episode in December will be on the second Wednesday in December. And we'll be having a chat with Jace Lucas. Uh, so looking forward to that. Uh, a much lighter conversation. <laughs> but, but this one was very important, Rev. Sandy. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I want to say also uh, a thank you to uh, Donna Miller, as well as Jace Lucas, who are our production coordinators for uh, these tele uh, the telecast, these episodes. <laughs> and so, uh, Rev. Sandy, I will be talking with you soon. All right. Okay. All right. All Thanks right. so much, Take Mark. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.